Hi, everyone. My name is Kevin Clark, and I'll be your host for today. I'm a UX manager at Shopify, and today I'm so lucky to be joined by the one and only Amy Thibodeau. She's a UX director on the core team, and I'm super excited to get into our conversation. Hi, Amy. Hi, Kevin. Amy, for our listeners who might not know much about you, can you please tell us more about who you are and what you do at Shopify? Sure, sure. So I like to preface who I am with, I'm a little bit of a weirdo for somebody in this role in the sense that I have, I think, fairly untraditional background. I started my career working in arts organizations, working in museums, which anybody who's ever worked in a nonprofit knows uh, means you're just a jack of all trade. Slowly kind of moved from that into content strategy, working at agencies. I had my own little agency, um, ended up at Facebook for a period of four years. But it was a really interesting period because it was pre-IPO, post-IPO, and I was the third content strategist to join their design team uh, and just have had a really circuitous route. And then when I started at Shopify, I was actually hired to lead content strategy and, you know, very quickly kind of moved into different types of roles here and ended up where I am today, which is leading big cross-functional UX team across Shopify's core products. And when we talk about core, what we're really talking about is the foundational out-of-the-box experiences that a merchant sees when they sign up to Shopify. So all the pieces of the thing that we tend to refer to as the admin, from the navigation to the search to the way that a merchant might add products and manage their orders, all of those pieces are, are included under core. That is a massive piece to own for like one person, right? It is. It's a big piece. Luckily, I have a wonderful team. And I also share ownership with Card of Core with another UX director who you know really well named Cynthia Savard-Sassier. And she's awesome. You know, we're, we're sort of partners in crime across the area. And, and we also just have some really great leaders. Kevin, you are one of them, who are, who are really working on certain pieces of it and owning it and driving it forward. So it is a big piece. There's, there's a lot to learn and a lot of context to gather, but I think the key to owning a big area is to have really great people in place that you can trust. Right, yeah. One of the things that hooked me when you started talking is how you mentioned that you're like a bit of a weirdo, like in your own <laughs> in your own words. And I'm kind of curious to dig into that a little bit and understand like what really like makes you feel that way of like how you ended up in this role and maybe I have this this feeling of, of feeling maybe a little bit out of place or feeling a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think to be a director of UX, we call it UX at Shopify. A lot of companies refer to it as a director of design. I think the traditional background is, is a product design background. And I've, mm. I've definitely worked in companies like Facebook, for example, where that term of design organization or director of design is intentional in that sense. You know, it's it's very specifically focused on people who have more of a traditional product design background. And I don't have a traditional product design background. I come from a content strategy or content design background, which really just means that I, I think I look at interfaces. I look at 
I look at UX and I look at product first through the lens of, of content, how the words work mm. in the interface. I look at it through the lens of understanding the, the data model or the object model that sort of sits beneath the UI layer and informs what we can build and, and what we can do. And then the role that words really play in helping somebody navigate and, and you know, complete their job successfully within software. But I've definitely worked in places where, you know, although content was part of the design team and part of the design practice, it was seen as, you know, not the primary discipline. Mm. And so there was always this sort of inherent hierarchy in a way where, you know, I learned so much and, and had a great career and time at Facebook, but where I definitely felt like there was a little bit of ceiling for me in terms of you know, my ability to move into cross-functional leadership. I always felt like I could move forward in content right. strategy or content design leadership, but probably wouldn't have much of an opportunity to move forward towards leading a cross-functional UX practice or team. And so when I started at Shopify, I was, I was initially hired to lead content strategy. And within about a month of starting, we announced that we were going to launch Polaris, which is our design system. And we've got a public-facing design system documentation website at polaris.shopify.com. And I'd been at Shopify for about three weeks, and this was announced. And there was a great team that was working on Polaris already or working at least on design system things. And there was nobody to really lead the effort. There was no product manager. And so uh, there's this person who works at Shopify named Kyle Pete. He kind of came to me and said, is this something you'd be interested in championing? And I remember my gut reaction was, oh, this sounds really <laughs> exciting, but like me, me, right. <laughs> um, because, you know, it was, it was a really, it was a cross-functional effort. It involved a lot of front-end development. There was certainly, you know, a large content designer, content strategy element. There was a large product design element. It was a really big endeavor and we had a really short time frame. And although I had always aspired to be in a position to lead cross-functional teams, I don't think I ever fully realized that I could mm. or that I would. And I think this is like a theme throughout my my career is I've kind of stumbled into these opportunities in 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 strange ways. Like and and the opportunity pops up and my gut reaction is to say, oh no, I can't do that. But then inevitably I talk myself to, yeah, sure, why not me? I can do that. And then I do it. And through doing it, you learn how to do it. And Right. And then you do the next thing. And then, you know, every opportunity that comes up is is something new and is a stretch and a challenge. And you always have this moment where you kind of think, oh, me, can I do that? And then, you know, the minute you kind of commit to it, there are hundreds of people around you that are, you know, willing to help you fill in the gaps that you have, mm -hmm. you know, are invested in helping you succeed. But you would never know that you could do the thing unless you actually agreed to do the thing before knowing fully that you have the skills right. to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was true at Facebook too. Like I had mostly worked in, you know, agencies and museums and Facebook got in touch and, and that was my first job really inside of a software company. And I remember I was traveling around the world for a year and I was just, I was doing, you know, a lot of freelance work and I was writing on a blog about what I was learning and mm. I got this email from the recruiter from Facebook. I remember it so clearly because I was in Tokyo and the email uh, subject line was hi from Will at Facebook. And I was like, this is obviously spam. <laughs> like this is clearly not Facebook's recruiting strategy, <laughs> you know, but it turned out it was. <laughs> <laughs> and so again, that was a leap into a space that I 
you know, wasn't familiar with that seemed really intimidating, but, you know, in saying yes to the opportunity found that I learned a lot and, and was able to, to do it successfully. Yeah. In a way, it's, it's really cool how y- you seem like you put yourself out there and kind of like keep your mind open to seeing what kind of opportunities come around. And when you see one of those, you're like, hey, like, we'll see how this turns out, but let me give it a try. And I totally agree with you that there's a lot of times like you need to get into something to figure out like, hey, is this something that I'm actually good at? I do remember like a personal experience. So I was worked on checkout for a really long time. It was actually like kind of similar to you. My first project at Shopify, like I think I was like one week in and someone was like, hey, we need to, to redesign our checkout. <laughs> <laughs> we need you to kind of help okay. lead the effort. <laughs> I was like, what? Never, you know, never really done anything like that before or anything at that scale either, but then figured it out over time. <laughs> I always like to say that, you know, nobody ever knows if they can do something until they try to do it, you know? And that's why if you hold yourself back and you sort of say, oh, I'm going, I'm only going to apply for, or put my hand up for things that I know I can do then you're absolutely never going to grow in your career and you're never going to stretch because it takes trying the thing to know not only whether you can do it, but even whether you like to do it, you know, whether it's something that you want to do and want to continue to invest in. So, you know, I like my philosophy has been put your hand up. If people ask you to do something, like be honest, I think about where your gaps are. It's it's not that I think you should go in and pretend that you have all the answers and, and know exactly what you're doing, but I generally find that if you're honest about what your gaps are, people are more than happy to help you fill them and help you along the way. Right. And it's having that self-awareness of asking those questions and being like, hey, there's this piece that I'm good at and there's this piece that I don't know yet, but we'll figure it out and please help me out and we'll get through this together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think a good dose of productive discontent doesn't hurt either. Like, uh, you know, I think, and I, I suspect you're somebody like this too, Kevin, I, every sort of situation I go into or every experience that I look at or that I'm being asked to review, you know, my default position is productive discontent. So, you know, I, mm. I look at it and I go, okay, you know, what could be better here? You know, what could I improve? What could be better here? And then the productive part is important because it's not just pointing out the things that aren't good, but it's about moving to a place where you start to be opinionated about mechanisms to move it forward, to move to better, rather than just, you know, pointing out the imperfections, which is also fun. Right. (laughs) (laughs) How do you find the right balance as a director of doing this? Because, and I ask this because something that I've maybe like struggled with or you know, that I've considered when I I was giving feedback is I feel like my role as a manager is to help maybe help someone like ask them questions or help them see a problem, maybe in a different light that they haven't seen before, or something that they haven't considered, and then get them to find new solutions that better address like what we're trying to do. And I always think that like, as someone who's maybe more like one step removed from the project, I'm never going to be the the best person to solve the problem, but I can bring you an additional perspective that maybe you don't have. And so like, what do you think is the right balance between kind of being that person who can surface, hey, like maybe this aspect hasn't been as considered versus 
hey, here's some ideas of how you might be able to tackle it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head with asking questions. I think the best way to kind of approach those situations is to ask a lot of questions about it. And, and hopefully you're asking questions that lead to threads or answers that the team or the person hadn't really considered before, you know, because you have a unique perspective, I have a different perspective, often the teams that are working on experiences, sure, they're closer to it. But sometimes they're too close. Like, I I don't know if you've Mm. ever had the experience where (laughs) you've written something, you know, I'm a writer, and I express myself through words. And, and sometimes I'll go down this rabbit hole where I've written something and I've fallen so in love with what I've done, that I I stop being able to see the imperfections of it. And I think that's really, that can really happen in teams. So I think bringing that outsider's perspective is, is really valuable. I think the other piece of it is that I think as a director, I have a bird's eye view of a lot of different things. And so what I'm able to do is connect the dots between experiences in ways that teams sometimes aren't able to do because they're in Mm. deep to their area. And so I think those connections are important. And then I think the third thing is, as a director or a manager, is making sure to spend the time up front to really invest in aligning with your team on what you expect from them in terms of quality, what good quality looks like, you know, what you expect in terms of their level of attention to detail and polish and, you know, even some principles around how to approach quality within their projects. Because I think if you don't spend that time up front to get alignment, then you're in this situation where you know, the team never really understands what you expect. And and maybe it ends up going well, and maybe it doesn't. But by spending that time up front, you, you know that you've like, you've invested in setting a foundation of expectations around that so that you can give mm-hmm. people then a lot of space because you know that you're aligned, right? You know, you have a right. shared understanding of quality. And then you can kind of get out of their way and let them go and let them take that and interpret it with their teams in whatever way they're going to interpret it without you having to have that much sort of hands-on oversight into, you know, the day-to-day practice. Like I've, I've moved into a place right now where in most cases I have senior managers or even directors in some of the areas that I'm responsible for. And for the most part, you know, I don't even go to their UX reviews anymore because we've spent time together they understand what I care about. I understand what they care about. And I trust them explicitly to take that and apply it in the right ways with their teams, you know? And it's really with them that I spend my time to make sure that we're aligned rather than, you know, with their ICs in, in UX reviews. And I think that's important in order to just scale, honestly, like scale thinking, scale leadership. And also importantly for people who are leaders to have enough space to actually be leaders in their area without, you know, me kind of sitting in and looking over their shoulder uh, (laughs) in all their UX reviews or, you know, all the rituals that they do with their teams. Yeah. And I feel like that's true leadership of like having the confidence in someone to take a step back and be like, hey, actually, I trust you to own this. Like we've had enough conversations that were aligned on where we want to go and we're aligned on our principles that now I can like truly give you ownership over this, this problem space. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think building in some time when it's possible and where it makes sense for a little bit of North star type exploration so that, you know, again, we have a real sense of, you know, what is the green path? You know, what are we trying to move towards in 
a year or two years in terms of the experience? And, you know, what are our biggest opportunities in terms of the experience? Again, aligning on that is important because I think without a destination in mind, you know, we're all just kind of feeling our way around in the dark. But if if we roughly agree with where we're going to get to or where we're going to try to get to, then I know that they're trying to get there. They know that I know. And if the path changes, then they know to flag that for me. But otherwise, you know, my assumption is that we're aligned. Right. Very cool. Very cool. One other thing that sort of resonated for me in what you were saying is this sort of like element of trust. And I think that's that's something that's very deeply rooted into the Shopify culture. Like we were talking about how like three weeks in, Kyle was like, hey, like I need you to to lead this like large scale initiative. There was this sort of like implicit trust that I think is maybe not unique to Shopify, but but I feel like is deeply rooted into how we do things at Shopify. Like we really try to get to know people during like the hiring process, for example, so that like when they hit their ground running, we already have this like built in trust into that person, which like allows us to give them maybe stretch projects like right from the get go, or even like something that I've appreciated a lot in my career at Shopify is even the ability to shape my role the way that I want it. Like I was someone who was doing a lot of front end development and who like wrote the front end for most of checkout for many years and did sort of like a 50 50 split between design work and front end development. And like even my role now as a as a manager, I think is probably very different from the way someone else approaches the, the same role. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that notion of trust is is really important. I mean, we talk a lot about trust batteries at Shopify. It's sort of one of our our cultural, you know, North stars or lodestones that we go back to. And my personal approach is, is it is hard to get a job here. You know, we have a high standard of people. We have people who really care deeply about quality. They care deeply about the mission. I think Shopify is also a really mission driven company. And what I found during these COVID-19 times, these very strange times is people, if anything, have been even more motivated to help mitigate the economic impact of of COVID-19 for Mm. particularly independent businesses. And I think, you know, we hire great people. We invest in some really strong onboarding to help give them a solid foundation in in the company and how we work. And then for the most part, I think we try to get out of their way and, and let them do the thing that we hired them to do. You know, I think it would be a real waste to hire the level of talent that we have and then not to, you know, trust them to do the things that that they're uniquely capable of doing to move our product forward and move our experiences forward. Yeah, and that's also something that we talk all the time about whenever I'm in like recruitment conversations is how we want people that are a value add to the team. And I think that's like a really important shift from something that I've heard a lot like many years ago, which is like, oh, we're looking for like a culture fit. Like we're actually not looking for a culture fit. We're looking for a culture ad. Mm-hmm. And like, is this person bringing something new to the table, a new perspective, a new way of looking at things, a new skill set? And like in a lot of these cases, I'm definitely not going to be the the right person to like tell them exactly what to do because I'm the reason we're getting this person in the first place is they're bringing something that we don't have inside our team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, 
the other thing that is important about that narrative is I think culture fit implies like a monoculture culturalism, you know, I kind of butchered my yeah. pronunciation of that word, but it implies that we want people to be the same and think the same and approach their work in the same way and fit in. And I actually think, you know, we talk about arming the rebels a little bit externally in terms of the way that we refer to merchants and, and independent businesses. We also appreciate a slightly rebellious streak within Shopify, you know, Shopify likes to hire entrepreneurs. There are a lot of people in UX who have run their own businesses um, or who continue to run their own businesses on the side while also working at Shopify. And I think people who background, there has to be a certain measure of, of audacity, maybe blind hope, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a willingness to sort of take risks and push things forward. Um, and I think we really appreciate that in um, in the people that we hire. And, you know, we're not just looking for people uh, to come into the teams and just like blend in. You know, we're looking for people mm -hmm. who are going to come in and help us think about things from different angles and, and turn them upside down a little bit and, and push our product forward. Yeah, that's amazing. And one thing that I, that I feel is so true with you is how, like, to me, you're such an example of someone who always goes above and beyond and is sort of like a great example that yes, like content strategy is really important and like that there's, there's not a ceiling to what you can do like that you had this great eye and this great attention to detail and this great care for user experience. And it's like, yeah, like content is one tool, right? It's like one way to approach that, but actually like what makes you special and what makes you unique is your own personal like philosophy to what makes great design and great experiences. And so my question here for you, I guess, is I'm sure there's like plenty of, of content strategists or content designers that are listening to this episode and they look up to you and they're like, how do I get there? Like, how can I become Amy one day? you know, content strategists and content designers who are interested in cross-functional leadership need to really embrace the idea that, that content is as primary to an experience as, as design is, you know, as pixels are. Like content really is design, you know. If you, if you look at any product that you love and you strip out the language, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. You know, these things really go hand in hand. And you know, you know, the iceberg metaphor is kind of used to death, but I think it's true of design and it's true of content. You know, the end result, the UI that is eventually shipped, it is just that little part of the iceberg that is, is pointing up out of the water. It's really the, the thinking, the understanding of the problem, the empathy with the user, the, the problem solving, really, the puzzling out the way to deliver on a great experience, all that stuff that sits under the water and kind of holds that iceberg up and helps it to float, you know, that's really what's meaningful. And, and I think that those things are very similar, whether you're a content designer, content strategist, whatever you want to call it, or you're, you know, somebody from a more typical sort of traditional product design background. And so I would say content designers who want to do more cross-functional work, they need to really advocate for the fact that content is not just about the, the words that go in the interface that is shipped, but it is mm -hmm. that design thinking that happens beneath the surface. And they need to put themselves out there and put themselves into positions where they can contribute to that work versus just sort of 
copywriting in the UI, which is what content design is sometimes reduced to. I think that's a great place to end it. Amy, it's been amazing to get to catch up with you. I'm so glad we were able to have that conversation. And I feel like you and I could just like talk for hours and hours and just never stop. If our listeners want more of your thoughts on design, where should they find you? Is there anything that you want to plug or highlight? Twitter, so they can find me just by going to at Amy Thibodeau. And I'm, I'm there quite a lot with lots of opinions. And yeah, I would love to chat to people on there. And we're always hiring. So my DMs are open if you are somebody in UX and you're looking for a role. Even if you don't see it on our career site, let me know. And we'll certainly keep you in mind and, and let you know as, as great roles come up for you. Boom. That's amazing. Thank you so much once again.